stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're going to be going behind the headlines to the true story, the true story of um, the woman who was kidnapped by Somali pirates and the story of her husband. Um, And all of this was written about by best-selling author Anthony Flacco. The actual title of the book, which has just come out and has already made the New York Times bestseller list, is Impossible Odds, The Kidnapping of Jessica Buchanan and Her Dramatic Rescue by SEAL Team 6. And um, the book is Jessica Buchanan and Eric Londemann, who's her husband. You'll have to tell me if I pronounce that right, Anthony. Um, and with Anthony Flacco, who put it all together. So, you know, Anthony, to be honest, I, I, I you know, I, well, oh, let me remind listeners, if you've been with me listening for a couple of years, or you can, you can actually always go back to the archives. I'm not, this must have been, I don't know, three years ago, something like that that Anthony was on with one of his previous books um, called The Road Out of Hell, Sanford Clark and the True Story of the Wineville Murders. And that was about uh, a serial killer, and it was the inspiration for the film Changeling. And um, you can, after, after you hear this show today, you can go back to the archives and listen to that one as well. Um, before we get into this book, Impossible Odds, I want to uh, tell you a, a little background because this is, I mean, Anthony, you're living like a, um, <laughs> like a dream life for so many people. Anthony is the author of five nonfiction books and three historical novels. They're all released by major publishers. Um, more than one have become bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers, and have won all kinds of other awards as well. He has an MFA in screenwriting from the American Film Institute, and um, his he you just write amazing books. I, I started to say I have to be honest with you. I mean, I love to have you on the show, and and I uh, wanted to hear what you had to say. And it's exciting, and congratulations for it making the New York Times bestseller list and all that. But and even though I'm an expert on terrorism, I I had a little um, I wasn't. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about this book. It's because, and it's, I realized why. Um, well, and, and as it turned out, it was a page turner that kept me up for the last two nights. <laughs> but um, the thing is, when we hear about kidnappings, um, whether it's by Somali pirates, I mean, that's a little more interesting and exciting. Um, but we've, we've, we've kind of grown numb 
to the idea of people being kidnapped, and it's so sterile the way it's written in the news or you hear about it on TV or the radio. And what was fabulous about your book is how personal and intimate it was. You know, I was worried it was just going to be like, like the news reports. Um, I should have known better since it was a book by you, but still. Um, and, and this was so incredibly intimate where both Jessica and her husband, Eric, um, talk from the bottom of their hearts uh, about what it really felt like to be going through this kidnapping experience in a manner that I don't know, I don't know whether it, it has been written anywhere else in a manner that's as personal. So, well, thank you, Carol. That's great to hear. Thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. And um, before we get into, because I, you know, as a writer myself, I'm so curious about the actual process and why you chose this story and how you chose, how you got together with them and so on. Um, and obviously this is something you feel passionate about. But why don't you um, tell people the basis for the story um, before we get into more details? All right. Well, for those who haven't seen any other publicity on the story, uh, Jessica Buchanan was a 32-year-old American humanitarian aid worker uh, down in Africa who had been there for a number of years. She met and married her her husband, Eric Landemam, who is a Swedish humanitarian aid worker who was also in Africa uh, at the time. They met and married in Kenya. Uh, In the two years since then, they had transferred to Somalia. Uh, He was working with uh, an NGO that uh, uh, does funding with various clans and stuff in Somalia to uh, try to encourage clan cooperation and get their infrastructure uh, going in, in some small way. And Jessica was working, uh, showing the people uh, uh, called a, a demining project, which not only looks to find and take away unexploded ordnance, which lies all over Somalia, but to teach the people how to avoid them, because many of those mines, you know, are made to look like toys and things. And there's an entire generation of amputees uh, wandering around Somalia who have uh, stumbled over these things. So that was what they were doing. They were in Somalia to help the Somali people, but uh, the Somalis who kidnapped them were uh, criminals and not representative of the Somali population, uh, no more than the mafia is representative of the Italian population. Mm. But these were criminals who uh, did a a massively well-planned and organized assault. They had been tailing her for some time, we now know, uh, and this was an arranged hit on her and uh, and her colleague, who was a Danish uh, worker. And... uh, uh, Last, they, they were traveling in a security caravan of three cars with armed guards, but they had compromised those guards also who did nothing to defend them as the assault was put on their caravan. And uh, they were overwhelmed by some two dozen uh, AK-47 carrying fighters, uh, militia fighters is what they are. They're a, a amateur army, uh, but, but an army nonetheless and extremely well armed. Uh, she was then hauled out into the open desert. They have a scrub desert in Somalia. It doesn't look like the Middle East. It looks more like the California high desert with you know, low, dried-up plants and a few scraggly trees, and it just goes on for miles and miles and miles of flat land. And they held her out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, well, wait, for... before you go on, why, um, if, if they were trailing her for so long, why did they pick her? Well, 
you'd have to fight, you'd have to get to the head of the organization mm-hmm. who was not captured in this organization to find that. But the thinking is they had decided to test the waters with kidnapping Americans, which they had never done before in Somalia. All the other things that the kidnapping that uh, pirates did or the kidnappers have done on land have basically been local people or foreigners from small countries that don't have uh, the government military to intervene and try to save them. So this was a test of our government who has you know, been trying to show the world that we're less inclined to be confrontational, and this was somebody taking that good intention and twisting it, trying to turn it on its head. And what about um, the man who they took with her? Was it just because he happened to be riding with her at a time that she was vulnerable? Yes, I think his name was Paul Fisted. He's a Danish worker and, you know, a good fellow, but I think he was only part of this by virtue of the fact that he happened to be there. Uh, I believe it was uh, the American who was targeted, not because of Jessica herself personally, but just because she's American. It could have been any citizen, but she was there. You know, one of the things, and you talk about in the book about how uh, Somalia is in such dire straits economically that this is the way that people feel so desperate Uh, some of the people feel so desperate that they resort to this kind of criminal activity. Right. Well, since 1991, when President, uh, the dictator Saeed was overthrown, uh, the country has been in in pure anarchy. There is no functional government. They have an officially declared government, which has very little power in the south of the country, uh, where the real Islamist factions control. It's run by the various clans that have been there for centuries, but each one holds a small territory within Somalia, and they're constantly fighting among one another, uh, and they have heavy weapons to do the fighting with, which means the infrastructure can't get rebuilt. You can't get supply lines. You can't get water and power and food. And so the country remains completely broken with a per capita income per person that represents about 600 U.S. dollars a year. And, of course, they are starving to death, and the children are growing up ignorant and uneducated. And the reason this matters to us up here in America Mm -hmm. or folks over in Europe is that's a whole generation of people growing up uh, broke, starving, ignorant, and angry, and they're not going to stay in Somalia, of course. Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it, it is our problem, I'm sorry to say. It just is. Hmm. Yes, that's true. And, And so much of Africa is vulnerable to that very thing, just like the Middle East. Yes, throughout Eastern Africa, there is this kind of anarchy. Uh, Western Africa, and of course, South Africa is different. Right. But Eastern Africa is much more like the American Old West. And uh, if you aren't well-armed and well-protected with automatic weapons, you pretty much shouldn't go out of your house. It's a real free-for-all there. Anyway, she got caught up in that. And as someone who went down there trying to help, she found herself victimized. Ironically, the thing that called Jessica to Africa initially was her concern over the plight of child soldiers. Because all these militias for these clans are fighting with one another and need fighters, they forcibly draft children, boys, sometimes even girls, into their units to fight for them. And they've developed this this psychotic manner of doing it that's uh, very efficient, which is they go in, uh, kill the child's family, and burn their house, and then take the child. So there's nowhere for them to go back to. In, In a number of occasions, it's known that child, that boy or girl, is forced to kill their own families before they leave so that uh, they are, their reputation is so destroyed at home and in the neighborhood and with the rest of surviving family members that they have nothing to return to. As soon as they are captured, they're forced into a drug regimen, which quickly makes them addicts. So uh, the, the supply of their drug and the fact that they've got nowhere to go seals them into this combat. 
one of the kidnappers who took Jessica was about 11 years old. And shortly after she's kidnapped, he was reaching out to her with his gun pointing it at her head, and she saw on his wrist he was wearing one of the souvenir bracelets that she gives away to all the kids at the end of her classes as a reward for having come and attended, and that this was one of the kids they had tried to save. And now he was there menacing her. Yes, that was one of the most poignant parts of the story, that um, here she came there with all these good intentions, and here was this kid who she had helped, um, and and he was still, you know, he still had turned into uh, a killer, you know, a, a demonic, um, uh, I mean, she describes him as, as being um, really evil or being, you know, being burnt out in a sense. Um, yeah, constant and, drug use uh, yes. from the time he's a little boy, plus having, uh, he, the others said he'd already killed three people, uh, which was a mark of pride uh, with him, and they nicknamed him Crack Baby yeah. just because his personality was so volatile and explosive. And this, of course, is, is to be expected in anyone who's been treated that way as a child and uh, is now a murderer and a junkie at the age of 11. Uh, yes. And um, what about that, uh, the, the drugs that they... Um, I mean, I'm sure you did a lot of research into that. What did you find out about that? Well, the drug is called uh, COT. Some people pronounce it CHAT. It's spelled K-H-A-T. And it's a lot like the coca leaves, which most of us have heard about that cocaine is made from. Uh, These are leaves from a plant, the COT plant, which they chew. And they get, there's a narcotic in that. And it basically is a form of speed. uh, But they can grow this stuff very cheaply, and it grows fast. And that's why it's spread all over the country. And, uh, And it's addictive and turns you into the speed freak with all the personality changes we've all come to know of what speed does to people. Hyper-aggression, paranoia, hyper-alertness, inability to sleep. Uh, Jessica was surrounded for 93 days by 24 men with machine guns who weren't just menacing her and possibly going to kill her deliberately, but she was in constant danger of being killed accidentally because Mm -hmm. these idiots are running around stone shooting off their guns in all directions. Mm-hmm. She said her fear of being shot accidentally by them was just as great the entire time as her fear of being executed, uh, which they repeatedly threatened her with. Yes. Well, um, we're going to need to take a break now. This, and when we come back, we'll, uh, um, Anthony will tell us more about the story, and uh, then the, what's, we'll go into more details also about his personal interactions with um, the two people who, well, Jessica, who was kidnapped, and her husband. Again, we're talking, my guest today is Anthony Flacco. The name of the book is Impossible Odds, The Kidnapping of Jessica Buchanan and Her Dramatic Rescue by SEAL Team 6, which made me cry, by the way, at the end. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. 
Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune in for an enlightening and thought-provoking program called The Child of Gulag. Our program is hosted by Dr. Yuri C. Feinberg, a political refugee and former citizen of the Soviet Union. Dr. Feinberg will add his unique perspective to issues that affect us today and will show how many of these issues are tied to the past, whether directly or indirectly. We'll also discuss future implications of these issues. The forum is open every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today, answering your questions, or actually my guest, best-selling author, Anthony Flacco, is answering my questions and the questions I think you're all having in your head as well, um, as to what it's really like to be kidnapped by Somali pirates. And interestingly, um, you make the point that, that these were... You know, they were, I guess they weren't technically pirates in the sense that they weren't on the high seas, but this was one of the first... Um, well, it was the first of an American, but I mean, weren't, didn't you say that it was one of the first um, kidnappings on land in Africa, in Somali? Well, uh, yes, of, of an American. There have been kidnappings all over the place of other people that just don't sort of make it into the news or into our awareness uh, right. here in this country. But it was, they've been very successful with this phenomenon of kidnapping. It's been the only source of getting major money into the Somali culture. Uh, the sad thing is that so far, even with all the kidnappers who've been killed or blown off the water, uh, it, basically it has worked, and that's why it continues. Uh, we call them pirates because these are the same guys who were doing the uh, piracy takeovers on the seas, but what happened was the international governments got stronger about sending down armed ships and basically were blowing a lot of these pirates off the water. Mm. So instead, that same desperation simply moved inland with mm. kidnappings. Mm. And the reason for that was Somalia was basically a fishing culture, particularly along the coastline. It sits on the coast of the Horn of Africa, and these guys made their living uh, fishing. But that living was wiped out some years ago when international fisheries began moving into their fishing waters just off Somalia and fishing out all of the resources which uh, left the Somalis with nothing but farming and agriculture, but with their broken uh, uh, society after, the, uh, after Assad was uh, thrown out in 1991, there's no way to get a farming agriculture system going because you can't get supplies of getting crops in and out and getting money in and out. And so everybody is basically just sitting there starving in the sun. Well, okay, here's a question. Why, why, haven't, um, why hasn't the United States or these other... Uh, nations that are fishing in Somalia's waters, why, why don't they agree to go away and leave a certain patch of sea for the Somalians? Well, because the problem isn't governmental. The problem is money. These are independent fishermen who don't care what their uh-huh. governments say. Uh-huh. They just know there's the product. Let's go get it. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, um, going back to where you um, left us off with... with um, 
Erica's, uh, Jessica's kidnapping. Yes. Um, do you want to, do you want to take it from there? Well, sure. Okay. So um, they had held her for uh, they held her for those ninety three days. Their original demands were for forty five million dollars uh, ransom for her, which of course was insane. Um, she's just a humanitarian aid worker and a teacher, and her her father makes furniture. She's from Ohio. They don't have that kind. Of, they don't have money at all. So um, throughout, uh, they they set up a crisis management team <clears throat> who began negotiating with the kidnappers and eventually got them down to something like a eighteen million dollars. It was still just. Um, but we're trying to keep the, the Americans were trying to keep the negotiations going because that was the best guarantee of Jessica's survival. The problem was holding her out in the desert. The kidnappers' um, strategy was to keep their uh, victims alive, but to do no more than that. So guaranteeing their health was of no interest to them. Jessica had a thyroid condition she was taking medication for and a tendency toward kidney infections because of it and was, uh, got sick almost immediately after being kidnapped because they took away her medication, wouldn't let her have it. Um, the FBI quickly found out where the kidnappers were because of their surveillance methods. Uh, within a day or two, they knew right where she was being held. But the problem then, and throughout those 93 days, was it was a low-tech problem. They could use high-tech and see them. They could use drones and photograph them even at night. They knew exactly where they were. They even knew the sleeping arrangements of the kidnappers on the mm. ground where they would surround the victims so they couldn't sneak away. But you've got guys with guns pointed at the victims. Mm. What do you do? Um, that's why they didn't just send in a SEAL team right away. Um, Eric, her husband, his reaction, of course, was to immediately go after her as soon as they found out where she was. This is a guy who had been in uh, counterterrorism ops in the Swedish military uh, when he was in the service, and a lot of his friends were the security contractors, the Blackwater kind of guys down in Somalia, who were perfectly willing and had the arms and the, uh, the experience to form a team and go get her. But the thing that stopped them, the only thing that stopped them, because Eric was chomping at the bit, uh, was, yes, but what do you do if when you come rushing in, the first thing they do is shoot Jessica? Or, conversely, how is Jessica supposed to live with it if you try to launch a raid and do nothing but get yourself killed? And now she's out there alone, surrounded by these thugs, knowing that they've murdered her husband and her, her chance of escape is gone. This is what stayed his hand, although it, it tore him up internally to do it. It was... Uh, I think probably far more difficult for him to stand back than it would have been to grab a gun and go for her. He's a hard-charging kind of a guy who would have had no problem doing that. But it was was his job to stand back. Now, um, you talk about, you wrote about three, there would be three um, things that would make the United States government come in. Um, Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, This is what they had set up early as, because Eric's question was, well, if we're not going to go get her at this point, at what point would we try to go get her? And they said the short answer is when when she's about to die and there's nothing else to be done. That's the answer. But they set up uh, three basic tests. Uh, one is if the ransom demands continue to be uh, just, just insane, as they were. Uh, two is if communication has broken down between the negotiators, and three is if the immediate survival of the victim is in peril. Of course, her survival was in peril the moment she was taken, right. but essentially that's a nice way of saying if they're dying. 
well, they finally they had about a total of five proof-of-life calls throughout this 95-day period, but only one where Eric and Jessica were allowed to speak to one another. In the final proof-of-life call, she had uh, said some things in sort of coded language that let them know her kidneys were failing and the infections were taking her over. Her fever wouldn't come down. And Eric took that information to the doctor, uh, who, who knew her, her doctor at home, who said, well, this, this is her kidneys failing, and, and she will die. She'll, she'll be dead soon if something isn't done, because it's overwhelmed her system. At that point, he then pulled the trigger on the operation, which was he went back to the FBI, who had aligned directly to the American White House, and let them know all three conditions have now been met. Uh, I fully understand she may be killed in a rescue operation, either by the kidnappers or even by friendly fire from the soldiers, but she's absolutely going to die if we don't try it. They were in a nothing-to-lose situation. Uh, when that information was passed on to the president, he then ordered the strike uh, by SEAL Team 6. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because how do you decide? I mean, you were saying that they got down to uh, $18 million. So at what point, how do you decide? Um, how does anyone who, I guess, the president or whoever would be in charge of, of going in to get her, that... that that uh, how much her life is worth, you know, well, is eighteen million too much really to save an American? Well, here's the thing: the U.S. government doesn't pay ransoms, so it made no difference right. what the ransom was. They weren't going to pay it as a matter of policy. The NGO she worked for is a tiny little group. They simply didn't have the money, and her families are just working people. Uh, mm. there, there was nowhere to go to get this money. Well, but could, isn't there a way to have had? It seems like there would have been a way to have it look like it wasn't coming from the United States government, that it was coming from her father who did fundraising or something, or some uh, beneficiary, you know, some rich person, a rich American who who wants to save her. It certainly could have come across as being not an official governmental $18 million. Well, I think, you know, if you were writing a novel, that's one way you could go. <laughs> but the cold realities of it were such that there was nobody who was going to do that. Of course, if, the, if America gets into paying ransoms but trying to pass it off to the third party, all that's going to happen is some enterprising yeah. reporter is going to discover that and bust mm. the story out internationally. Mm. And bingo, there goes our policies of not paying ransoms. Yeah. And Eric and Jessica both understood, if America gets into paying ransoms, these kidnappings, they'll never end. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So uh, every it was it was that's why I called the book Impossible Odds. Everywhere you'd turn, where you think there might be an answer, there was a brick wall. Mm. Well, um, it, it's it's really as I said at the beginning, it really it goes moment by moment. I, I was telling you off um, the air that I did find I, her husband a little annoying um, in the sense that. You know, it was just like, I mean, I guess you do do uh, incredibly well at expressing the frustration. I'm sure that was what I was feeling, the frustration that she felt, of course, being being in that situation for 93 days, the f frustration that he felt not being able to help her and being so afraid that she was going to be angry at him and, and not love him anymore because he didn't rush in like, you know, uh, a prince to save her. But um, I just felt... I don't know. I, I didn't. Um, I just felt there was uh, some weakness in him. I know what you're going to say. That actually, it was a lot strong. He was. He was really. That was a lot of strength for him to um, to listen to what made logical sense. 
and because he knew the country so well and so on and the people so well that that and he and listen and he listened to um what the government was saying the american government was saying and all of that that he did the logically right thing but i guess i kept uh, i wanted a fair one of those fairy tale <laughs> stories where you know he would swoop in well, he wanted the same thing, too, and so did Jessica. But the problem is, they weren't in a novel or a movie. And that right there on the ground, it just kept being impossible odds. You know, it sounds good. Yes, go get her. But look, all one of those crack babies has to do, how long does it take to point a gun at her and pull at the trigger? Right. Even if you're, even if you're charging in with a 1,000 men. Yeah. Uh, that, and that was the thing. He ha- had to keep saying, there's what sounds good, there's what feels good, and then there's what is good. And what is good is get her back alive, if at all possible. And that had to be his watchword. But let me tell you, I think it aged him 10 years to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, this is a proactive, a strong male. It was against everything he is, just as a masculine persona, to do this. But when it came down to it, time to pick up that gun and take your first step, are you really going to do that? Does your macho code really require you to possibly cause your wife to be dead because you just could not? Leave it alone. Mm. And it was it was a horrible, horrible thing for him. Mm. Uh, but you know they did the right thing, and um, the, the script I'm working on is really going to be able to show even more uh, because what has happened? They had to sign a very strong non-disclosure agreement with the FBI after she was rescued regarding some of the things that were done. But since that time, uh, in our own news situation, that there, with what we're now discovering uh, about federal surveillance and gathering of data and stuff like that, things have come out that allow me to say uh, oh. a bit more in the film than I could in the book. Like about and, the drones. Yes, like about the drones, like about the fact that our government, uh, not just ours, I suppose, but many of them have the capacity to turn the internet on and off as they like, or to turn cell phones and cell phone towers on and off as they like. And I mean, if we stop and think about it, really, it's logical. They, the things are set up, things are controlled by somebody. Of course, they can be turned on and off if, if that somebody wants to. And this is precisely what was done uh, in, in Somalia uh, uh, on the okay, night wait, of let's the hang it. Let's Let's leave it on a cliffhanger right there until we come back because we need okay. to take another break. Um, my guest is Anthony Flacco. His best-selling book is called Impossible Odds, The Kidnapping of Jessica Buchanan and Her Dramatic Rescue by SEAL Team 6, and we're about to hear about that. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life goals, priorities, and choices on track. The result is an easier, happier, and more inspired life. The name of the program is What Matters. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world just by listening. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. 
Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here with my guest, Anthony Flacco, the author of the just-released book called Impossible Odds, The Kidnapping of Jessica Buchanan and Her Dramatic Rescue by SEAL Team 6. And you were about to uh, talk a little bit about the... The dramatic rescue. Don't give it all away, but just <laughs> just some of the parts. Okay. Well, it's just uh, there's a timely thing rescue. that's going on. We know that. <laughs> there's a timely thing that's going on today that that we all know about. Uh, we're hearing about the government gathering of data and surveillance and and how much power and ability they have because our uh, communication systems are now interconnected all over the world: cell phones, internet, landlines, all that stuff. Um, so that what that has done is sort of out one of the facts that I couldn't use in the book because Eric and Jessica uh, had signed with the FBI not to reveal secrets, and that's that, of course, our government has the capacity to turn cell phone towers on and off at will. Uh, they can do it anywhere, of course. Uh, these things have been built and turned on. They can be turned off. And so what they were able to do was see to it that no one in that region could place a call on the night of the strike so mm. that the kidnappers couldn't call for help. Mm, uh, I see. Okay. Uh huh. So it was a way of setting the stage, and it's one way. I mean, you, you can put up. I, I'm as concerned as anyone else about this excessive surveillance. Yes. And yet here is one instance where it was used uh, properly and well, and uh, brought about a great result. So uh, even things that have the potential for great evil can also have the potential for great good, and this is an example of that. Yes. Yes, that's interesting because you do. You know, you do kind of leave it where. Um, uh, where we don't know why, I mean, we know that there were certain things favorable, the fact that there was no moon that night and so on, but, um, but you leave it where we don't quite know why they didn't call for backup, one of the uh, kidnappers that the SEALs killed. Yeah, no, no doubt they tried. Uh, the only thing mm-hmm. we say in the book is Jessica, as soon as they pull her out of there, she starts yelling to the other SEALs, you've got to call my husband and warn him, you've oh, got right. to call my husband, because they're going to call ahead and have him attacked now. Right. Oh, right, um, right. Now, did, did anything ever happen where um, Eric, did anyone go after Eric? Well, they don't know. He got out of there right away. Uh, the next day he was out of there and went to Italy to meet with her. And they have since moved out of Africa. But, of course, they're in great danger. They represented millions of dollars to the investors. I mean, this is a business to those investors. And when Jessica was pulled out of there and and Eric made it happen, uh, he cost those guys millions of dollars. So imagine you were here in America and you had cost someone in the mafia millions of dollars. Hmm. How safe would you feel? 
that's how safe they felt in Africa and why they've left and come to the uh, U.S. Neither of these people is any less concerned about their humanitarian causes that brought them there originally. It's just they had to say, uh, we can't do the world any good if we're dead. And if we stay here, we're not likely to survive. Yes. So that's what, one of the things I wanted to ask you. What are they doing now since the rescue? Well, they have since, uh, fortunately, uh, uh, they, they are well and healthy. Uh, they have their first child, baby boy, who's been born since all this happened, and they're living now in America, and they will be continuing to do their humanitarian work, but they're going to have to do it in a representative way, uh, speaking dates and, and representative and, and advocacy things rather than the hands-on approach they had down there. Neither one of them wants to be a public speaker for a living. They want to go back and get their hands dirty though it was before, but they're forced to acknowledge that down there right now their lives aren't worth much. Yeah. Hmm. So they're basically um, using some of the money that they're making from their speaking to donate it to some of these organizations that are doing the work. Is that well? What I can't you're speak for how they how they spend their money, but I can tell you that is that remains their full time concern is uh, the plight of it, the ignorance of an entire generation of African children and the plight of all these unexploded munitions down there that are just blowing the hell out of the local population as they try to go about their lives. So, tell us about how you got involved in this project to begin with, um, and what it was like working with them. Well, um, I'm fortunate in that now in that it, people, you know, sometimes come to me with these kinds of stories. And what had happened was Jessica had reached out to my partner Charlene Martin, who is a literary agent, uh, wanting to tell this story. Uh, Charlene gave her uh, a list of writers and and their work to go over. Uh, I was one of them, and uh, they liked my stuff. They had read um, uh, The Road Out of Hell, which is a completely different story, but does the same thing. I was, and each of the writers who wanted to work with them had to write a, a, a proposal of how you would handle the story. Mm. And so I wrote to them how I would handle this, and I emphasized that I will take a very uh, internal and personal and subjective uh, way of telling this story, that I'm not a journalist. Uh, the journalistic aspect, as far as I was concerned, was just the skeleton of the story and not the meat of it. And uh, I, had, I said, I need for you both to be willing to allow me to ask very intrusive personal questions the way a therapist would, but understand that I'm only doing so as your advocate. And they resonated with that, and they liked my writing of uh, The Road Out of Hell and uh, how I portrayed the victimization of that boy there. Uh-huh. So... Um, so we went forward together. Now, the way we had to work is they were down in Nairobi at the time, finishing up their affairs and getting ready to move. So we used the Skype technology, uh, first time I've used it in interviewing for a book, and we would talk for hours every night. It was a nine-hour time change to contend with. And I would just sit, and we went slowly, day by day, through the story. And I plumbed both of their memories all I could. Once I got the full database laid down, then sifted through that and structured out the book. And I, I really like the way you have, like, not very much of it or is, um, is uh, your voice. I mean, it's mostly um, chapters where it's Jessica's story or where it's uh, Eric's story, and, and it's in their voice, which is very, um, you know, it really comes across. I mean, that, may, that helps to make it more personal. Well, thank you very much. I had to have several um, uh, calls with the, my agent and the editor and publisher uh, on the line to get approval to do that, which was, first of all, to mix, uh, to 
first-person point of view with third-person point of view right. uh, to make Jessica's part in first-person that should sound to you like it's her talking to you, but a third-person narrative that should sound much more reportorial, just giving people a fact background. And then a, a third-person point of view for Eric, but which is nonetheless very personal uh, about him. And uh, this was an odd way yes, of doing okay. it, but once I presented my case, the publisher let me do it, which I was very glad. Yes, it is not a usual way of doing it. And, and yes, it did. Uh, it really helped to put it together as a tapestry and, and just made it come alive. Um, so, so then, so when was the, did you meet them before you finished the book? Nope, we didn't meet until it was time to meet in New York City to begin the publicity tour, uh, personally. And um, it was one of those things where, of course, I, we were so familiar with one another from these long Skype casts, and yet I had it was almost like meeting a celebrity. Jessica was so much taller in person, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, little things like that. Uh, but it, it, it was great once I finally met them, and yet there was a kind of deja vu to it, because uh, with Skype, you're looking face-to-face with someone, and we had spent so many hours in that position. Well, Fortunately, know, um, both these people are, are smart and very uh, eloquent in expressing themselves, so they make for easy subjects to interview. Well, except that you got so many details. I mean... Um did you try to get them to tell you the story chronologically, like you wrote the book? I mean, or I guess they they would then remember something later on that went somewhere earlier, right? Yes, we essentially went through it chronologically. I laid out a big chart about six feet long with 93 sections on it for each of the mm. 93 days. Mm. And we went through the calls. We went through the whole thing point by point. Once I then had it down, I did a rough draft, which I sent to them. And that's where they would look over and say, oh, yeah, now I remember this happened uh-huh. and that happened. And, and we started then mixing and matching with it. And we went through two rounds of that uh, before we finally wound up with the finished manuscript. Hmm. And um, did did the um, NGO, the NGO that... Uh, that Jessica worked for is that that's still around? Yes, it's, well, it, it's they, a Danish-based NGO. She worked for a Danish that Jessica worked for. Hers was uh-huh. Danish. Okay, um, did they? I mean, I hope they don't. I hope they're more careful about where they send people now. Well, I hope so too, and that's a whole side other issue. But they had there had been warnings of kidnappings throughout the region that had been officially issued to American expats or all expats in the region. And uh, the NGO security advisor had told Jess, no, I think it's okay, go ahead and go. And then they sent her down into that hot zone, and this happened. So um, I think it's extremely tolerant of her that she's not brought any kind of lawsuit or anything, you know. (laughs) She just kind of wants to get past it all. But yes, uh, she trusted them to protect her, and uh, they did not. And even the security guards that they used to protect her uh, turned against them. Yes, it's sort of like we keep hearing about over in Afghanistan, you know, where the guys turn their guns on the American soldiers. And... Mm, mm, yes. Um, and, and, of course, that was how, that's how the book starts. Your book starts where, and, and which adds so much drama to it, which is um, that uh, Eric is trying to convince Jessica not to go there, that he's, he's saying it's not safe. He doesn't care what her NGO is saying. He doesn't want her to go, and they have these discussions or arguments about it, and finally he relents um, to give her space to follow her dream, and, uh, and she goes, and of course that makes him feel all the more guilty and all the more that he should go down there and do something about it. That's right. 
but they had that kind of relationship where, you know, he doesn't tell her what to do. And ultimately, she felt like uh, she had canceled three times before out of security uh, concerns. And her feeling was, well, look, I can't just keep canceling like this. And after all, this is the work I came down here to do. If I'm going to be afraid to do it, I should just go home. So uh, she tried to just uh, suck it up and, and go. And, this, and she miscalculated. Yeah, and then, of course, it was interesting, similarly, um, the day that she was supposed to be taken home after the meetings at the NGO, um, she noticed that there was a new driver, and um, she didn't really listen to her gut and, and be, tell somebody that she, you know, that she was concerned about that. Yeah, it's, it's every step along the way. You can see each decision at the moment she was making it seemed right, but she was walking right into that trap. For example, she could have said, hey, I'm not getting in this car. I don't recognize this driver. Right. But she's down in the bad part of Somalia now trying to get home. Mm-hmm. What is she going to do, turn down a ride home mm-hmm. and stay down there and perhaps get killed for her trouble because she didn't go out when she could have gone out? So each of these decisions was just agonizing, and she did the best she could with what she knew, but that didn't help her. It it stacked against her. Now, what kind of reaction are you getting so far to the book? I mean, besides that everyone loves it and it's on the New York Times bestseller list, but I mean, um, in terms of some of the issues that, that the book brings up. Well, uh, I haven't had time to, to get into the reactions to the issues themselves, although I know that remains at the forefront of Jess and Eric's uh, concern. The two issues of, of child soldiers uh, being drafted down there in large scale, and I want to stress this is not something that happens once in a while. They're drafting whole regiments of these kids. Um, who are forced to become murderers and, and, and junkies, and the entire younger generation is not being educated down there. Uh, so, there, I mean, there's this brewing problem that, that, that is not going to go away. And because they're from there, they're, they're very aware of this. Their sensitivities are heightened to it. And they see that once you come back to America, it all seems to just dissolve and go away. Mm-hmm. But just as with the Middle East, it won't go away. It keeps coming home to us. Right, right. Well, that was a signal we do need to take another break. Um, We'll come back. My guest is Anthony Flacco. His book is Impossible Odds, The Kidnapping of Jessica Buchanan and Her Dramatic Rescue by SEAL Team 6. We'll talk more about it when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join Gary Ray and his co-host as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we're talking today uh, with Anthony Flacco about his latest book called Impossible Odds, The Kidnapping of Jessica Buchanan and Her Dramatic Rescue by SEAL Team 6. And um, I was just asking uh, Anthony Flacco about um, the, the apparently uh, Jessica and Eric were recently on the Jay Leno show, and I was just asking about what Jay... What Jay was asking them, whether whether it was, you know, I, I guess it's hard to make uh, jokes out of this, but I don't know if he tried. Well, you know, it's, it's funny, because I owe Jay Leno an apology. When I first heard they were going to do the show, I was against it for that very reason. I thought, well, what are you going to do, make light of this? I mean, yeah. and yet... Uh, he handled that interview superbly. And uh, for anyone who's, who's listening to this, if you want to go online, this Tonight Show website, it's a nine-minute interview, and, it's, and you'll see he did a beautiful job. And he showed, really, his intelligence. He didn't try to joke or be goofy about it, and yet he didn't just get all somber and turn into mm-hmm. Charlie Rose either. Uh, he, he was kind of lighthearted, but very empathetic and sincere with them. And uh, even after the show, he came back, and he was just so conciliatory toward them. Uh, and I had we got a call from his producer the next day to say the producer he woke up his producer the next morning with a phone call just to tell him once again how glad he was that he got that interview and he thought it's one of the best they've uh-huh. ever had. Cool. Okay. Now I know you wanted to talk a little bit about, and I would like to hear more about this. Um, why you said that Eric, the husband, was responsible for her, or at least partly responsible, besides SEAL Team Six, um, for her rescue. Well, absolutely, and and of course, this none of this is to take away from SEAL Team Six and the magnificent job they did. Uh, they they too were just fighting just impossible odds. It should not have worked, and yet it did. But here's the thing. Um, Eric was working behind the scenes because he knew the culture. He knew the Somali culture. Uh, gossip is a big thing there. Information has traveled along their gossip line for centuries. They have a well-entrenched, uh, culturally well-entrenched line of, of information travel. And so he was able to use his knowledge of clans and the various clansmen and their competition among one another to go to those clan leaders and plant disinformation, which he Mm -hmm. knew would travel along their gossip lines to the kidnappers. Disinformation such as, yes, we're raising the money, we've almost got it all now, Mm -hmm. just a couple of more weeks and we think we can get it, to keep them uh, optimistic so that they wouldn't fall into despair Mm -hmm. and just kill Jessica. Um, he also used his knowledge of the clans and the local people to get clan leaders to, to do demonstrations within their own communities to get other people in those communities not to help the kidnappers, to make them understand these, there's no solidarity with these men because they're also Somalis. These are criminals, and you must not help them because they're hurting everyone here. And we huh. don't want them to draw the military in and create military action that gets civilians killed. So he was very clever in how he manipulated public opinion 
opinion and cultural tendencies to keep messages going into the kidnappers, which the kidnappers didn't even know they were getting as messages. They thought they were just hearing this stuff from relatives mm. and friends back home. Uh, but that's how Eric was able to tell them things which he knew they would believe, as opposed to telling them things through their negotiator, which they might yeah. simply reject. Yes, yes. So the fact that she was kept alive was largely due to the hope that Eric maintained in them with this disinformation campaign. That's why I say, and I was telling a film producer the other day, I consider him the prototype for the 21st century male film hero in those situations where you can't just Bruce Willis your way out. Mm -hmm. We know the world is filled now with situations that require cunning and guile and manipulation and knowledge and most of all, patience, that you can't just... uh, bomb it out of existence. And you can say, well, yes, but they still shot the thing into a solution by sending in SEAL Team 6. But remember, that was only done as an absolute desperation uh, measure when they knew for a fact, well, look, she's a goner if we don't try this. Therefore, it no longer matters that she may be killed in the Mm. crossfire because she's going to die anyway. But the only reason she was still alive to be rescued was the campaign of disinformation that Eric created and maintained. That's very interesting. Well, yes, I guess um, when you put it that way, <laughs> I guess he doesn't seem as much of a wimp as I was thinking of him. Oh, no, this guy's not a wimp at all. He's a macho guy. He's a big rugby player. You know, he's a, he could have gone in there and kicked ass. Uh-huh. But he had, and that's why my heart went out to him as a man, as a fellow man. I know if, if this happened to me, that exactly what I want to pick up a gun and say, which way are those bastards? Yes. But now you've got to stop and say, hold on, John Wayne. Do you want to show off for a camera, or do you want to actually produce usable results? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this. And that's the position he was at. Uh, a terrible one, you know, it causes him stress today. They're both dealing with PTSD, of course, and and may for the rest of their lives, but they have their fundamental goodness and decency to to protect them and their love for each other. Um, Even the fact that, uh, you know, she got pregnant within about five days. Yes, I know. I was was figuring out when she got rescued in January, and then she she gave birth in August, right? Almost, almost immediately. And I know some people, while she was pregnant, were concerned that this was a pregnancy as the result of rape Uh by one of the Somali pirates. Uh, She maintained steadfastly that she was never actually raped, although she was assaulted many times and groped and stuff like that. Uh, And uh, the baby looks like a little miniature Eric. I mean, there's no doubt about where that baby comes from. Yes, yes, that would have been. uh, But, um, yes, that was also very uh, tension it, it heightened the tension when, you know, when these people, especially this one uh, Somali pirate, was uh, getting closer and closer to raping her. Yeah, um, because he was the only one who spoke English, the only go-between that she had in the negotiation process. Yes, so she was dependent upon him. Quite well, right. um, Anthony Flacco, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all of this. Of course pleasure, I recommend Carol. this book. As I said, it kept me up. For two nights, being a page-turner, I would, I would tell myself it's time to go to sleep, and then I'd want to read it again. Uh, the book, again, is called Impossible Odds, The Kidnapping of Jessica Buchanan and Her Dramatic Rescue by SEAL Team 6. And um, you can also look, if you want to uh, read more about Anthony Flacco, it's uh, Anthony, com, and uh, check out his other books, and check out the archived uh, show of Dr. Carol's Couch, when he was talking about one of his other books, The Road Out of Hell. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. (laughs) 
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.